Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Doing a show this early in the morning without any fucking coffee in yep. me is bullshit, yeah, I tell you. That's much. complete bullshit. <laughs> Welcome back. Bullshit Filter, uh, the news, uh, Ray, episode, uh, I think, 35. Um, or, if you want to look at it this right. way, episode three of our uh, yeah. spontaneous Fuck Let's Talk About Venezuela series. Deep, hard. Yeah. How, I just want you to ha- know that... Um, how are yes. you, Ray? Oh, um, thank you for asking. I just want you to know that I am a proud... 52 and a half years blackface sexual assault free. I'm going to try to keep that streak going. I feel pretty good. Obviously, that's a rare thing in Virginia these days. So, um, you know, no, no shoe polish and no um, crossing the line. You know, me too all the way, all that good stuff. So I'm, should, I'm one of the good guys. Should I know what that's a reference to? <laughs> oh, God, you haven't. Oh, my God, I figured you'd be giving me hell. No, the governor of Virginia... Um, it came out, did blackface when he was a medical student, and a picture ended up in his medical year, his a medical yearbook. You know where they do photos and stuff like that. So that's fine, that's fine. And then he said, "Oh, I also did it when I was in a Michael Jackson uh, lip sync contest, or or something. That's fine. So we can get rid of you, and we'll use our l- lieutenant governor, who's also a Democrat. It turns out that he's been accused of not one." but two sexual assaults. So let's get rid of him. Let's use the attorney general number three line. Turns out he did blackface too back in the eighties. So Virginia's top three Democrats are still hanging on to their jobs, but uh, everybody is like, Oh God, this is embarrassing for the Democrats. It's embarrassing for Virginia. And uh, we've got blackface and sexual assault going on. That's all anybody in this state can talk about. And I just assumed um, as much of a, of a news junkie that you are, that you might've heard about it. Well, you're right. Normally, I would have, but as you know, Chrissy's fortieth uh, birthday oh, yeah. this weekend. Yeah. I took her away to a little cabin in the woods, where I um, hacked, a bo- hacked a body up and uh, <laughs> Ted Bundy style and buried it in disparate locations. Right. So no, where uh, where uh, where we took over the course of the weekend some um, <clears throat> photographs, which I'll be dropping you now. You know, uh, uh, I think adamantium level uh, sponsors folder only. There you um, go. Right. Mm, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they'll be on the bonus feature of your, your Christianity documentary. <laughs> I'm going to splice them in Fight Club style uh, to, just for a flash so the kitties start crying. <laughs> what is he doing to her, mummy? I don't know, but he's winning. He's on top. <laughs> Well, we had a great, great weekend. Um, okay, listen, Venezuela. Now, uh, before we get back into the linear story, where we where we ended last time, uh, Hugo Chavez uh, died of cancer in two thousand and thirteen. Before we before we pick the story back up, there's a couple of things I want to just uh, talk about that have happened in the last week that piqued my interest. Um, and and this one is a, it's a classic example of how the U.S. and international media just totally runs American propaganda without even the slightest bit of objective analysis. You may have seen this story. I had a few people um, on the Facebooks uh, send it to me during the week. The story about how two trucks carrying food and medical supplies, aid, 
would yeah. would not be let into Venezuela. They were blocked right. from entry into Venezuela. Um, some By the some military. Some yeah. dude. Some dude uh, who's, I think, an old Napoleon uh, fan um, and likes to engage me in uh, political debate on Facebook said this to me and then was like, and then I was like, yeah, well, and he was like, I was like, well, and he's like, and I said, dude, have you even listened to my Venezuela show? He said, no, I haven't. And I was like, well, you know, just fucking go listen to it. Anyway, here's some Aussie guy for some reason reporting it on uh, CNN, just to give you the gist if people haven't uh, haven't uh, heard of it rather than me read it. Let's see if I can get right. this to play. Well, humanitarian aid sent to one of the world's poorest countries not being allowed inside by that country's government right now. The food and medicine due to arrive, if it hasn't already, in Cucuta, in Colombia. You see it there on the map. Now, that's one of the collection points organized by Venezuela's opposition leader and self-declared president, who is begging the military to let the goods enter the country. But President Nicolas Maduro having none of it, insisting we are not beggars and, as you see there, ordering troops to block the bridge. However, Venezuela does desperately need this aid. Isa Suarez, who is live in Cucuta, in Colombia, uh, on a different bridge to the one we just saw. So this aid being blocked at the border. Tell us what you're witnessing and how that reinforces how... Well, a different bridge, but anyway, just tell us what you're seeing on some other bridge. Um, yeah, sure. So I, I, I'm sure you heard this story. Um, yeah. So the same story was basically run by a ton of mainstream media sources in the US, in Australia. I know the BBC ran it. Pretty much exactly the same template story. Yeah. Not one that I saw anyway uh, pointed out what I thought was obvious, that no, no these, these two trucks, by the way, were supposedly coming from the US. Now, no, mm-hmm. no, oh, and coming through Colombia. Now, no nation is going to allow trucks coming in from an enemy nation to just cross over their border uninvited at any time, especially during a coup. Right. Um, with with so-called aid. Well, you know, it's a, it's a coup, whether or not it's a successful coup, it's a coup right. um, going on. Now, especially trucks coming from a country that has previously tried to overthrow that government... Uh, and is currently supporting the current coup leader, which is both the U.S. and Colombia uh, are supporting right. Guaido. Um, now, there are plenty of people living in poverty in the United States right now. I was there yeah. uh, last year, flew into L.A., um, was shocked at the number of <clears throat> homeless people. I saw mm-hmm. six o'clock in the morning, jumped in a taxi, went down to Venice Beach for breakfast, before um, Victor Santoki come and pick me up. But I was like, uh, like homeless people everywhere. I was shocked. Now, imagine what would happen if, say, Russia just turned up with trucks on the Mexican border and said, oh, can you let us in? We're here to help the poor people. Um, there's no way they're just right. getting let in. But this is what uh, the the U.S. media and 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 international media is up in arms about that Colombia's uh, Venezuela's not doing the same thing. Now, not to mention the fact that the person in charge of U.S. operations in Venezuela 
Elliot Abrams, as we talked about mm-hmm. on previous episode, has a history of using aid as a cover <laughs> to deliver weapons to right-wing mercenaries right. in countries in uh, Latin America. He did it in Nicaragua. He did it in El Salvador. Uh, and very good reason to believe that's why he was given the job by Trump is to do right. it again in Venezuela. Now, none of that gets mentioned in these mainstream media stories. By the way, the uh, man in charge of the trucks has previously gone to prison for uh, helping militarize uh, yeah. right, right-wing uh, mercenary groups in uh, other socialist Latin American countries. Back to you, Jenny. Um, now, if, if, you, if you want to legitimately help a country by getting aid to them, do you, do you know how you do it, Ray? Tell me. Well, Tell me. we're children of the 80s. The first thing you do is you have a big concert. You get all of the celebrities together. Right. Uh, oh, I am in. You put out a, you put out a power ballad single right. where everyone gets to sing one line. Maybe that's what we should do. We should do a podcast power ballad. Get all the top history podcasters. Right. And we get to deliver a line each. That that could be it. That could be the big thing that we do to raise money for Venezuela. No, the the way that you you go about aid is you do it via reputable aid agencies. You do it via the Red Cross. You do it via United Nations. If you want to deliver Mm -hmm. aid, that's what you do. But, of course... That doesn't get brought up in the story. Uh, why? Why is America just randomly out of the blue sending trucks two into trucks. Venezuela? <laughs> Not two hundred, just just two. Two, yeah. There's a lot of aid going to get to them, and there's two trucks. Well, we packed it in very, very, very oh. tightly. We know how okay. to we know how to pack shit in America, man. We packed it. Um, yeah. Now, uh, the Red Cross and the UN had actually previously warned the United States not to use aid as a propaganda tool in support of the coup. There was a story on uh, the 1st of February, Red Cross warns US about risks of sending aid to Venezuela. Uh, The International Committee of the Red Cross has warned the United States about the risks of delivering humanitarian aid to Venezuela without the approval of security forces loyal to President Nicolas Maduro. Uh, the United Nations, a few days later, uh, the United Nations warned on Wednesday against using aid as a pawn in Venezuela mm-hmm. after the United States sent food and medicine to the country's border and accused President Nicolas Maduro of blocking its delivery with trucks and shipping containers. Now, the Red Cross has been yeah. working with Venezuela for quite a while to deliver relief and just last week before the trucks had doubled its budget to provide relief. So the Maduro go it's not like the Maduro government's not accepting international aid. They have been working right. with international aid when it's offered in good faith, not just some sort of uh, thinly veiled uh, uh, propaganda uh, event like this is, obviously. But no, the, the sworn enemy of the Maduro government just decided to send its own trucks. It's a total PR stunt, a total PSYOPs stunt, that the US media and the BBC and Australian media, I saw it just ran with it, no questions right. asked. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, I watched it on CNN and the BBC, and you're absolutely right. If you just watch that, you think there's absolutely no help coming to these starving people. They're dying because of Maduro, and America's the only one who can and is doing anything about it, and no, he's being a dick and not letting them in. You're absolutely right. That is the impression that you were purposefully left with. Another way to help this country is for the UK to release the $1.2 billion of Venezuela's money it has in the London banks but the united states has pressured london to to freeze that so they can't so maduro can't access it and use any of it to help his people that's another way of making sure these people suffer and i guess the the poor are supposed to rise up and and bring maduro down even though he's got the the arms and the weapons and they do not and probably at least half the population are in support of Maduro. I don't really know what the numbers are. It's hard for anyone to know what the numbers are, but there are certainly... I've seen interviews with Venezuelans where they're uh, in full support of Maduro and against Guaido. Now, I, I, I believe there are also uh, Venezuelans that are in support of Guaido, just as, like, there are Venezuela, there are Americans that support Trump. Um, right. And, and, and Americans that don't. I mean, I, I'm sure the country is divided um, yeah. For obvious reasons, I mean, whether or not you believe that Maduro is corrupt or violent or whatever, the, the country is experiencing ridiculously extreme economic stress over the last few years. Um, but getting back to the bridge, so the rest of the mm -hmm. bridge story is, um, you know, it's supposedly you see all the footage. There's this; uh, it's been blockaded. There's big sort of makeshift right. wire fences across the bridge, and then there's a couple of uh, shipping containers on the bridge as well. Here's the interesting thing. So the bridge is called the Tienditas Bridge. It's on the border mm -hmm. between Colombia and Venezuela. Um, the bridge was built in 2016 and hasn't been open a single day since then. What? <laughs> Am I missing something? Yeah, probably. But here's the thing: so you'll you you know you'll see uh, the narrative in all these media stories. You'll see uh, Mike Pompeo. Uh, right. quoted as saying, reopen the bridge, Nicolas Maduro. Well, it's never been open, so you can't reopen right. something that's never been open. The reason it hasn't been open is because of all of the tensions between Colombia and Venezuela, ah, uh, which I'll talk gotcha. about in a second. But if you don't believe me, there's a photo on Google Maps uh, that somebody uploaded on June 2017 of the bridge blocked with those same makeshift, makeshift fences. Uh, the shipping mm -hmm. containers weren't there, but the makeshift fences were there. Now, another thing about the makeshift fences is the concrete blocks and the supports for the fences are actually on the Colombian side of the bridge. Oh. So whoever set those up, set them up on the Colombian. There were the Colombians that said that blocked the bridge. Uh, right, it's, they're not. They weren't set up on the Venezuelan side. Now the shipping containers might be, probably are, but um, yeah, the, uh, unless the the Colombians did that as well, and it's all a complete stunt. But at least the uh, the the fences were set up by the Colombians. It would seem. I have to give a shout out to Justin Emery, found founder of Mindful Dot Technology, for credit uh, for working that out. Um, I read a blog post of him, but. Um, Going back to the uh, uh, bridge, according to a Wikipedia article on the bridge, 
it says it was uh, con- built, finished in 2016, but due to the crisis between Venezuela and Colombia in 2015 and the border closure of Venezuela, the bridge has not been officially opened. Now, there have been tensions between Colombia and Venezuela for at least 15 years. Back in 2004, there was this thing called the Dactari Ranch Affair. A bunch of mm. Colombians were arrested at a farm just outside of Caracas in Venezuela. They were accused by the Chavez government of plotting a coup. Um, mm. Now, you'll recall from our earlier episodes that there were several coups against Chavez in 2002. <laughs> right. Then there was, uh, you know, this recall vote in 2004. Um, Around about the same time in 2004, a TV show in Miami featured a former Venezuelan army captain, Eduardo Garcia, who was dressed Mm -hmm. in full uniform. And he was talking about getting the help of Commandos F4, which is a uh, Cuban paramilitary uh, counter-revolutionary group based in Miami, Mm -hmm. um, who were were saying they were going to give him their support to overthrow the Chavez government. They wanted to overthrow Castro. Um, Damn. They also wanted to overthrow Chavez. Now, the host of the show, it's a TV show in Miami. It's like a cave, you know, one of these right. Channel 100 fucking things, you know. Like also, we would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cam and Ray, late night. What, what are you? Yeah, what do you call those? Whatever they are. Like, uh, it's like uh, Wayne's, sh- Wayne's World, you know, in our basement. Wayne's World. In our mum's basement. Um. The host of the show claimed the U.S. government had earmarked $36 million to help overthrow Chavez. Now, as we know, uh, the U.S. government was funding uh, opposition groups in Venezuela. Uh, Whether or not they were connected with Commandos F4, I don't know, but at least that's what this guy was claiming. Uh, And Commandos F4 were claiming it that, that they were getting support and were going to overthrow him as well. So anyway, um, in 2015, the Venezuelan government accused Colombian militias of attacking their soldiers on the border. Uh, They ended up shutting, closing down all of the borders between Venezuela and Colombia. But as I said, that these fences that the media is showing off, and they're not saying it, but the assumption is, well, they are are saying that Maduro's not letting the uh, trucks in even though the bridge was closed on, from the Colombian side uh, a couple of years ago and has remained closed ever since. But the point is that the media is running this story just carbon copy versions of it. No one that I've seen uh, is like, well, but, you know, here's the other side of the story. Here's the backstory about the bridge, about the border, about the relationship between Venezuela and Colombia, Venezuela and the United States, about Elliot Abrams as being the guy behind this, his history. You know, it's just they don't they don't go there because they're a propaganda machine. Yeah. I, I just want to ask a follow-up question now. From what I've been able to read, um, Guaido, to a certain degree, is taking credit for organizing these shipments, these trucks. So one, I wonder if that's really true. And two, if, if, I mean, if he knows this is all bullshit, just like you pointed out, which you would not get from the main media, uh, is he a part of this as well? And he, maybe he's not as honorable, not that I know anything about this guy. Maybe he's not as honorable as he says he is where he, all he cares about is the people. Well, 
Look, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, you know, just saying. Yeah, look, I, I would say that to to give him the benefit of the doubt, if you're trying sure. to, if, if if you're a good guy, and you believe the current government is corrupt, which mm-hmm. is what he claims. Um, then you are going to take any uh, any support, any advantage, whether it's propaganda support or military uh, support or whatever that you can. Um, I know I would. If I was trying to overthrow yeah. the Australian government, I'd be like, yeah, lie to people in the media. I don't care. Let's just get it done so I can become the new dictator and force everyone to listen to our podcasts. Hefe um, Cam. Hefe, uh-huh. I like that. I like the sound of that. Now, the other interesting document that I came across this week was the U.S. Army Special Operation Forces Forces Internal Field Manual on Unconventional Warfare. Mm-hmm. Now, this is... I'm not, I'm not quite sure if this is supposed to be public or not because I know the U.S. Army actually does publish uh, for public consumption a lot of their field manuals or are happy Basically, for them to yes. be made, made available. I'm mm-hmm. not sure about this one, but this one was released in a WikiLeaks dump back in 2008. And it was actually published in 2008 as well. But again, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be public or it's supposed to be secret. I'm not sure. But either way, um, WikiLeaks reposted it uh, this week. And it's a fascinating read. Um, If you're interested in this kind of stuff, highly recommend this. Um, Now, the official definition of unconventional warfare, according to this document, is operations conducted by, with, or through irregular forces in support of a resistance movement and insurgency or conventional military operations. Sounds Machiavellian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically, it's it's about um, how to do war without doing war. How to do right. secret, uh, uh, tricky behind-the-scenes war where it doesn't look like you're doing war, but you're really doing war. Right. Um, it, now, it defines irregular warfare as a violent struggle among state and non-state actors for legitimacy and influence over the relevant populations. Now, mm. I, I define those because I'm going to talk about a, uh, quote sections of this manual in a second. But it starts out, uh, this manual, by... Quoting my old friend Klaus von Clausewitz, um, <laughs> says uh, von Clausewitz famously, you remember who he is? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. For people who I- don't, uh, Prussian military officer fought in the Napoleon Wars uh, against Napoleon and famously wrote a book on strategy afterwards, basically breaking down Napoleon's uh, approach to military strategy. Um very famous, probably you know, after Sunsa, probably the most famous book on military strategy, I guess. Anyway, this document says, Von Clausewitz famously characterized such use of state military power as an act of violence to compel the enemy to do our will. This assertion has been profoundly influential. However, it is too constrained for a vision for applying national power in today's world. The ancient Sun Tzu is more relevant today. Although battles should be won, winning 100 victories in 100 battles is not the acme of skill. Defeating the enemy without fighting is the acme of skill. There is more than one way to compel an enemy. So keep that in mind. Defeating the Mm -hmm. enemy without fighting is, according right. to this Special Forces Manual, the uh, highest form of warfare. 
Now, there are some interesting paragraphs that I pulled out of the field manual that I think are relevant when we're thinking about what's going on in Venezuela. Um, Clause 3-79 says, In contrast to regular warfare, irregular warfare focuses on the control or influence of populations, not on the control of an adversary's forces or territory. Ultimately, IW irregular warfare, is a political struggle with violent and non-violent components. The struggle is for control or influence over and the support of a relevant population. The foundation for IW is the centrality of the relevant populations to the nature of the conflict. The parties to an IW conflict, whether states or armed groups, seek to undermine their adversary's legitimacy and credibility. They seek Mm. to physically and psychologically isolate their adversaries from the relevant populations and their external supporters. At the same time, they also seek to bolster their own legitimacy and credibility to exercise authority over that same population. Uh, IW operations also employ subversion, coercion, attrition and exhaustion to undermine and erode an adversary's power, influence, and will to exercise political authority over a relevant population. Wow. So Just whatever works. Yeah. 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 Look, I think you know when I'm having discussions with people, um, Americans typically about uh, the use of psyops um, and propaganda in these sorts of campaigns. Mm-hmm. There seems to be this lack of uh, 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 belief that America, uh, American armed forces would actually do such things, that, that it right. exists, that, that psyops, psychological operations, you know, propaganda designed to undermine the legitimacy and credibility of the opponent is, is a real thing that American governments would participate in. But this is in the fucking field, man. You're saying, well, yeah, 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 totally. This is what we do, yeah. man. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. That's, you know, this is, should I keep reading or did you want to interject? No, I just wanted to say real quick, I mean, you're absolutely right. I can't remember the name of the term, but all Americans assume, because we're taught to assume that the Americans play by the rules. What's that, the boxing rules, the British Queensberry, I can't remember the whatever the is. We, we, we all assume, because we're told that the Americans don't do things like that. It's, it's un-American. It's not like us. It's beneath us. And so, yeah, we can't even wrap our head around that our governments do that. But the reason we do that is because it is so much more cost-effective and you stay out of the limelight than an actual war. Why fight someone you, when you can bring them down internally? It's been done for thousands of years, and we're just very good at it. Or at least we, we tried a lot, certainly since World War II. Yeah, um, yeah. There's this. this I, yeah, sorry. I think there's this idea that propaganda is something that third world dictators use. Ah, yeah. But America, because they have to. Right? Yeah, and and it involves putting big posters up in the square of yeah. the leader of the dictator and armies marching and with missiles and right. um, they don't. People don't realize we do it at football games. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. People don't realize that it is part and parcel uh, of not not just one of America's tools of getting what it wants, but according to this, you know, it's seen by the U.S. Army as the ultimate way. To win without fighting is the ultimate way, mm-hmm. and you do that by using 
propaganda and coercion and subversion and those other things that I mentioned. Okay, this is um, Clause 2-45 from the manual. Like economic activity, which all nation states, human groups and individuals respond to, ASOF, which is the unfortunate name for the uh, <laughs> special forces, ASOF can use financial power as a weapon in times of conflict up to and including large-scale general war. Like the economic activity that it is related to, most financial power is unmanaged, routine, and peaceful. However, manipulation of U.S. financial strength can leverage the policies and cooperation of state governments. Financial incentives and disincentives can build and sustain international coalitions waging or supporting U.S. unconventional warfare campaigns. As part of an interagency effort, the U.S. Treasury can recommend changes to U.S. policy that can provide such incentives to state governments and others at the national strategic policy level. Participation in international financial organizations such as the World Bank, International Monetary Fund, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, aka the OECD, and the Bank for International Settlements offers the U.S. diplomatic financial venues to accomplish such coalitions. Mm. Scary as fuck. You want to, you want to translate can... that for people who tuned out while I was reading? <laughs> the the American uh, government or whatever whatever apparatus uh, has many many ways of fucking up your life financially, taking things from you, punishing you, rewarding you, or doing both to get you to do what we want you to do. We we can yeah we can make your people miserable. We can make your people starve to death, and hopefully turn on you. And because we're doing it covertly. Hopefully the finger never gets pointed back at us, but it is a very effective, powerful, cost-saving tool. It's it's a scalpel. It's not a broadsword. You know, um, when it comes to Venezuela, a lot of uh, people uh, on Facebook are like, yes, but look, at it's not just the U.S. that are recognizing Guaido. It's all these other countries. Uh, yeah, okay. Because of us. Well, yeah. well, possibly. Sure. I mean, uh -huh. immediately where my head goes to is, okay, so why are these countries doing it maybe it's because they think maduro is illegitimate maybe maybe it's because you know they've had discussions with the u.s where the u.s are like listen if you don't support us in this then yeah. that aid that you're expecting next month or that yeah. contract that you're expecting or you know that access to oh, our, this yeah. whatever it is yeah, yeah. or by yeah. the way uh you know your political opposition yeah we'll just drop uh, 70 million dollars into their next election campaign i mean <laughs> maybe that is happening maybe that's not happening but you have to assume here it, it says here in the manual we use financial incentives and disincentives to get international coalitions to support our campaigns says it right yeah. there in the field manual so we have to assume it might be happening uh whether or not it is whether or not it isn't the other interesting thing about this is it spells out yeah we can use the world bank and the imf and the oecd and the bis to get in get countries in line as well now that's been yeah. a it's been a thing that i mean john perkins talked about it and confessions of an economic hitman it's been something that conspiracy theorists have been saying for decades Oh, those organizations are just tools of American policy. People, you mm -hmm. know, tend to laugh at them. Oh, you're just crazy. Ah, oh, here the fucking special forces manual. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we can use the World Bank yeah. and the IMF to get shit done, man. Like that's that's one of our tools. Wow. Um clause six dot dash three 
<laughs> talks about PSYOP objectives. <clears throat> Creating popular support for the insurgency movement. Developing support mm. of the populace. This is the objectives of PSYOPs. Developing support of the populace to allow the insurgents to avoid detection and move freely. Promoting the recruitment of others into the resistance movement. Discrediting the existing government and its programs. Introducing or delineating a shadow government or government in exile. Maintaining support of the indigenous populace for US support and presence. Dividing and inducing defection among enemy forces. Winning the support of the uncommitted preserving mm. and strengthening friendly civilian support. So we know that part of their tools of PSYOPs is discrediting the existing government and introducing a shadow government. Damn. It's in it's their deep pockets. In black and yeah. white in the policy. Like, what do we see happening in Venezuela? The discrediting of the existing government and they set up a shadow government. And it's right. this is here. It's in their fucking manual. This is what we do. Can I can I just just for a second because I should look this up and I apologize. Um, we were saying last week that John Bolton pretty much came out and said, and I put the clip on uh, the Facebook page, like you know we're looking very close at their oil. We want to get American companies in there. We want to be the one that have access to it and all that good stuff. Um, I guess for right now, um, uh, the country pretty much takes care of its own uh, distribution of oil with, with their uh, with their state run with their company. So it's not like there's anybody else in there. They're just doing it on their own. The Americans don't want that. And even though everybody else would like access to it, I guess we're in a position to take advantage of this quote unquote crisis to get our hands on, on their oil. And I think they are like the fifth largest oil producer in the world. I, I, I mean, we're literally trying to take their own oil away from them. It's not like we're trying to take the rights away from the BBs, uh, from the uh, British uh, petroleum company. We're literally trying to take it from themselves. Well, Is that? Yeah, I understand it. Yeah, well, Venezuela has the largest proven oil reserves in the world. We said that uh, right up front on the first episode. In okay. terms of in terms of production level, it varies from year to year, and their production okay. is way down at the moment because of the economic sanctions. Very right. difficult for them to sell it. Um, but uh, you know, they are one of the top, traditionally one of the top oil producing countries uh, in the world. Certainly, have the largest oil reserves. And yeah, John Bolton, as you said, came out and um, said very, very plainly, yeah, we want American companies in control of Venezuelan oil. I mean, you and I have both read books. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you have, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. You've read books or seen documentaries on the Medellin cartel back in the 80s or whatever. I mean, they, they were taking all that money they were making from drug sales in the United States and turning little villages and towns and, into uh, metropolises. And you just imagine these people have oil, which is not illegal, and uh, they're, they're struggling the way they are. And certainly, you know, with the price of oil, which they can't control, falls. But then the United States comes on and other countries – and we throw on all of these sanctions, just grounding these people's faces into the dust, expecting a change in regime that's something that will benefit us. I don't know. It's just the more you look into it, you're just like, really, are we still doing this after supposedly, you know, being lightened after World War Two or whatever? The fact that we're still doing this, it's just very hard for Americans to to come to grips with. The thing that gets me the most about this isn't that America is still doing it. It's that. All of these people uh, uh, are in support of it. All of these people, like Democrats, people that are supposedly uh, yeah. 
against the US interfering in other countries are still buying the propaganda campaign and in support of it, you know, vocally, passionately in support of yeah. it, buying every line of the propaganda campaign. Uh, despite there being no WMD, despite you know everything that we know about all of the bullshit campaigns about Iraqis throwing babies out of humidity cribs being bullshit, despite like the endless lies that have been used to justify American military intervention in countries in the past, next to it's what did, what did fucking the United States of amnesia. Um, <laughs> People just like <laughs> Democrats, people who think of themselves as, right. you know, uh, good, lovers. good lefty progressive yeah. Democrats are like, well, yeah. sure, they like to, but this time, oh, this time yeah. it's all true. Yeah. We have to get in there. Um, let me read another section from this manual. Yeah. This is the last one uh, Clause 3 76. How and what the media report can affect the political and public support necessary for the achievement of military objectives. Commanders must understand and work continuously with the media to gain and maintain an information environment and vantage. Here, a civilian military media operations center is the JFC's focal point. Uh, JFC is Joint Forces Command, I think. Is that JFC? Yeah. A comprehensive and coherent media plan is necessary to influence populations and senior decision makers while countering adverse adversary propaganda efforts. So again, in the in the manual, it talks about influencing populations by using the media. How was that? You said that was part of a WikiLeaks leak. Yes. That oh my god. That to me that's the only way it explains it how this I mean we all if you if you drill down you can figure it out, but for someone to break it down into a science and put it out there, you would think that would be like the Medici bank book. You would keep that far away from everyone's eyes. Yeah. It is oh well. as you said before, it's very Machiavellian. It's like reading the prince. Yeah. Okay, this is how you manipulate the people to win a propaganda <laughs> war. Right. So, look, um, I, I won't read the whole thing, but that uh, I, I think it, we have to acknowledge that um, this is how the U.S. Army views unconventional warfare and irregular warfare. And we have to acknowledge that this is happening to some extent with the Venezuela situation. How much of what we get from the media mm-hmm. is, uh, is psyops and propaganda and how much isn't is hard to tell. But... You know, I think if you look at that case with the bridge that I started off with, we can. Right. You know, that's a that's a classic demonstration of how the media is just running propaganda uh, without any sort of uh, uh, cogent, independent analysis. So it, it, it kind of is sort of the cat's out of the bag. I think when you see that story and how the media have handled that, you have to assume that pretty much everything else that you're getting also fits into the propaganda bucket at some level. Yeah. I I just, let me, I know you, I know we're pressed for time. we got to go on. I just have to ask this real quick and you can give me your obvious answer, but I, I just enjoy moments like this. So when you're doing your research and you come across this bridge, which you're right, absolutely goes in the exact opposite direction of everything I saw all over the news video feeds. Do you sit there and when you see that information about the bridge, do you go, aha, or do you just go, yeah, 
Okay, I'm not too surprised. And move on. <laughs> I, I just what, what kind of no. what kind of moment? What, what's your initial reaction when you when you find because it's so blatant? I'm just yeah. wondering. No, I'm 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 constantly shocked when um, I see stuff like that. I was like, it was when I wow. when people first started sending me the story. I mean, my immediate yeah. reaction is, well, of course, then I didn't even know there were U.S. trucks. The, the first stories I saw said trucks coming from Colombia. They're not letting these. And I'm like, right. well, of course, they're not going to let trucks from Colombia in. Colombia is their <laughs> enemy. The enemy. <laughs> they're the fucking enemy. Yeah, you're not going to let your enemy send trucks in. Well, Come fuck, on like, duh. Yeah. Why? <laughs> that seems pretty fucking obvious. And then I found out they were U.S. trucks. And I was like, well, of course, they're not going to send U.S. Let U.S. trucks in. The U.S. Yeah, is supporting right. a fucking coup. And then, um, you know, I drilled down deeper into the bridge and found out that it's always been closed and it's closed on the <sighs> Colombian side. I'm like, well, fuck. But no, I'm always like, sh- I'm always uh, sort of shocked at, um, well, you know, particularly when I, when, when I, I dig for 15 minutes and uncover this whole backstory. Um, mm-hmm. And none of the media has done that, or they they, they either haven't <laughs> bothered. Yeah, maybe they probably they haven't bothered, or they're just so blatant. When the propaganda is so blatant, that always shocks me. And B, when the people again, the people who particularly the one, if you're a hard right wing Republicany type, um, you know, I don't expect you to give a shit. Like, yeah, fucking invade them. It's, it's like. Right. The head of Podomo Cigars when I was visiting him in Miami years ago, and he said, let's just let's just nuke the Middle East, man. Let's just nuke, <laughs> nuke the lot of them. I was like, right, okay, just give me another cigar oh and God. shut up. <laughs> nuke them. Let God sort them out. Um, uh, but when, when the people are supposedly progressive, they're on the left, and they're still buying it, like it just ah like to me and I'm not I'm, I don't want to disparage the intelligence of these people to me it just speaks to how deep the propaganda yeah. programming yeah the conditioning yeah, yeah how deep the yeah. conditioning is in Americans where they can be fed this blatant blatant propaganda very obvious bullshit story and their first reaction isn't mm, that 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 smells weird. Um, maybe before I send Cameron a direct message on Facebook and with a big <laughs> aha post, I should probably think yeah. about this a little bit take more. Ten yeah, right. <laughs> take ten, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I before I send Cameron a story about some installation of Toto's <laughs> Africa in the fucking desert of Africa, I should probably ask myself. Has he? Hey, when did this come out? Has he probably received this a thousand times before me, or should I just send it to him and go? Have you seen this? Yeah, I better send it. Better safe than sorry. I'm going to send it. Back to yeah. our back to our linear story. So in 2013, yes. Hugo Chavez died rather suddenly um, yeah. from cancer, aged 58. He'd had he'd he'd been diagnosed with cancer a couple of years earlier. Had treatment. Was in remission. All of a sudden, it came back and he died. Now, there are lots of conspiracy theories about his mm-hmm. death. Don't have time to go into them. Um, wow. Suffice to say that there are supposedly people who were in his inner circle, like his bodyguard, who all of a sudden uh, ended up living in the US with a lot of money in his bank account after Chavez right. died. There are lots of stories um you know, maybe that's another thing we could do. But right now, 
Uh, well, let's just acknowledge that there are many confirmed CIA uh, assassination attempts on Fidel Castro. Um, and so, you know, if you yeah. don't if you don't think the CIA has ever assassinated anyone, then I have a bridge to close you. It's actually a bridge to sell you. It's actually on the border of Colombia and Venezuela. It's never been used. Pristine condition. Pristine. Yeah, yeah, pristine. <laughs> I mean, I got to get some wiring off there, but other than that, I mean, it's it's. Oh, you buy it, you buy it as is, as is. Oh, okay, okay, that's fine. Perfectly good bridge. <laughs> now, yeah. then, uh, when he died, Maduro, who was his VP, took over. Now, uh, how how much do you know about Nicolas Maduro, Ray? Did you drill into his uh, history? Not into him too much, but before you do, I just wanted to ask a question. I was confused. And I'm not saying that you have to be. I know I know. no one knows more than you about Venezuela's constitution. But I was confused about one part of the, the constitution that said uh, the Speaker of the National Assembly should assume interim presidency if a president cannot be sworn in. Not if the president, but a president. And so a part of me is confused by the very uproar after Chavez dies because he does have a legitimate vice president that can serve out the rest of his term. But however, even then, people were saying, no, the National Assembly leader, who was a different person at the time, not Guaido, should have stepped in and been president. Did, did you did you read any of that about some of the tension and the conflict very early on after Chavez died? No, I, I didn't. But yeah, you would think that's the point of a vice president, right? If something exactly. happens to the president, exactly. the vice president, at least that's how it is in the United States. I don't know how it is in Venezuela, but that would seem to make sense. Yeah. So tell me about Maduro. Oh, Nicolas Maduro, he's currently age 56. Uh, like Chavez, he identifies as mestizo, mixed race. And, and I think mm. we need to keep that in mind. Um, a lot of racism, as I said in earlier episode, between uh, sort of the, the, the whites uh, in, and this is true across Latin America, the, the people mm-hmm. of European Absolutely. descent who traditionally have been the, the wealthy elite across Latin America and the indigenous peoples, the people that have indigenous uh, uh, South American and some African uh, heritage. A lot of racism. And uh, Chavez, as I said in an earlier episode, was the first indigenous slash mixed race um, president of Venezuela. Mm -hmm. And now Maduro is the second. And so, you know, there's there's, there's a lot of uh, racism wrapped up in in that. Now, uh, his father was a trade union leader. Uh, Maduro ended up becoming one as well before his political career. He started off his career as a bus driver, ended up becoming a trade union leader, eventually became Chavez's uh, foreign minister and then his uh, vice president. He uh, Mm. claims to be a big fan of John Lennon's music and campaigns for peace and love. He claims to be a fan of Led Zeppelin. So good for him. How bad can he be if he likes John Lennon and Led Zeppelin? (laughs) Exactly. Now, in his early 20s, he lived in Cuba for a while and allegedly was trained by the Communist Party in Cuba and allegedly sent back to Venezuela by them in the early 1990s to support Chavez, who was just starting to make waves. Remember, he had this attempted uh, coup attempt Mm -hmm. in 1992, got arrested. Um, apparently, uh, Maduro was sent back to try and give him support in some way. And, uh, that's how he got close to Chavez and, and rose up through the ranks. Now, 
He's also been accused uh, of a long list of crimes and misdemeanors, everything from corruption to being homophobic. Uh, two of his wife's nephews were arrested in the US in 2016, charged with the intent to import cocaine, supposedly to make money for uh, Maduro's upcoming election campaign. They mm-hmm. were uh, sentenced to 18 years in prison. Damn. Uh, now, Maduro, of course, uh, is saying that uh, this is all political. Uh, they're being used yeah. as bargaining chips. But um, I, I, I don't know. depending on what you think of the American justice system, maybe. I was going to say, mm. 18 years for selling Coke. I mean, that's whew, that's pretty steep. Yeah. I'm, I'm not and they, Coke. And they I'm hadn't. Not. I'm just saying. It wasn't yeah. for selling Coke. It was for the intent oh. to import Coke. Oh, Still, mm. 18 years. Yeah, they didn't That's even sell point. it. They didn't even get there. Um, right. Anyway. Wow. Um, and, and Maduro is also accused of getting fatter while many in Venezuela are going hungry. Um, there's, there's stories about him and his ministers being uh, photographed at fancy restaurants in Caracas mm-hmm. or his son's going to fancy parties and a and lo- lot of... Uh, negative stories about him. I don't know if they're true, if they're fake, but anyway, there's a lot of that kind of stuff about him. Uh, How much of that is a PSYOPs campaign? How much of those photos are Photoshopped? Uh, Who knows? Well, I mean, you're you're right. It could easily be fake, but I imagine the salary of the president of that country is slightly more than someone who works at Kinko's. So maybe he can afford things based off his legitimate salary, but... You know, it, 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 there could be graft. I mean, it's been known to happen. But the point is, we don't know. But it still gets spun that way by a lot of people in the news. Yeah. But again, you know, Donald Trump does a lot of outrageously ridiculous uh, things as well while Americans are going hungry. But uh, no one bats an eyelid yeah. at that when an American president does it. When a Venezuelan president does he's accused of being... Uh, he's white. He's, a, he's accused of... Is he? He's orange, really, Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, orange is lighter than brown. That's science, my friend. Have you seen the guy who uh, photoshopped what Donald Trump really looks like doing the rounds yes. over the last few days? He took it all off. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> took, took the fake tan off and the hair yeah. comb over off, and uh, he just looks like an angry white man. Um, all right, so about a year after Chavez died um, and, and Maduro took over, the oil price plummeted by half in 2014 oh. and they were hit with US sanctions by Obama so they got a double whammy the economy the Venezuelan economy took a double hit do you know what the sanctions why we cuz i honestly don't why we did it did sanctions and why we did them at that time yes i'll get to that in a second okay sorry now right. that's all right now when chavez died um robert pastor who was a former us national security advisor for latin america under jimmy carter said this is a quote there's no doubt that hugo chavez transformed venezuela one can debate whether the policies that he pursued actually helped the masses but you cannot mm-hmm. question the fact that the majority felt that he was a leader who cared about them ah uh, sounds commie to me yeah, Sorry. well, you know, he was Jimmy Carter's NSA uh, for Latin America uh, guy. Um, so, you know, again, this is evidence that even 
some American experts believe that Chavez um, had genuinely tried to help. Whether or not you think he implemented the right policies or not, when he had money, is uh, up for debate. I'm no, right. you know, well, look, you know, Ray, no one knows more about economics than I do. But, uh, right. you know, it's it's still up for debate. You, you can debate, well, well you should have spent yeah. your money on a, on a big TV rather than, uh, you know, a, a, a sex swing. Or you like, but uh, right. that's that's pretty that's subjective. Well, the point the point that we often make in these various shows is that no one is all good or all bad. It doesn't work that way. He could have been corrupt. He could have been stealing. He could have been, you know, being getting kickbacks. But he did do things. He did interject. He did bring health care and increase education. So he did attempt to to make some people's lives better in the country and for people to just shut that down and say no it didn't happen is just ignoring the way humans work no one is all one or the other thing and that's a good it's a good reminder like if if you are in a discussion with somebody about a guy like Chavez and they're just like going balls to the wall criticizing him <laughs> right uh, a good thing to say is well did he do any did he do any good you know did was there anything that he did was good if 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 somebody can't acknowledge the good um, then you know you're talking to uh, a crazy person, right? Somebody who's not really not interested much. in facts. Like I, I can, as I keep saying in, in Facebook discussions, I'm happy to criticize Chavez or Maduro or anyone. Um, let's criticize yep. how they spent the oil money. Um, uh, let's let's yep. let's accuse them of being corrupt. Let's look for the evidence for all of those things. Um, but when you paint it as a black and white scenario, that's evidence to me that you're not really interested in a rational, logical discussion. You just want to rant to support your ideological position. Um, so now, um, after Chavez died, the U.S. probably hoped that his Bolivarian revolution would end with him, but... Of course, it didn't, so they started ratcheting up the pressure. Now, in March of 2015, uh, Obama said that Venezuela was an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. Bullshit. Uh-huh. Plainly a ridiculous statement and, end, and, and extended economic sanctions against the country. Now, he had to claim that they were a national security threat because, according to U.S. law, you need right. to do that in order to uh, trigger sanctions yeah. against a country. Now, as we've explained in earlier episodes, economic sanctions uh, unilaterally applied, like in this case from the United States, is actually illegal, not just uh, from the U.N., but also the Organization of American States and other bodies like that. You just can't do this according to international law. But Obama did it anyway because he didn't give a fuck. Just if, in case you think it's only Republicans that do this sort of stuff. No, Obama was part of it, part of the system as well. Now, how the fuck was Venezuela a security threat to the United States? I mean, remember during uh, Hurricane Katrina, uh, Venezuela was giving like free oil to the poor people of the United States. Right. Um, they didn't send trucks to the border. They used uh, Sitgo, their uh, dis- you know their their distribution yeah. network in the United States to make it available to people. But no, Obama said they were a security threat. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, it, 
it's not going to come as a surprise. So with the price of oil cut in half and the and sanctions increased by the end of that year, December 2015, the opposition Democratic Unity Coalition wins control of Venezuela's leg legislative body for the first time in 16 years. So in other words, things had gotten so bad economically and the people were suffering, suffering so much that the people, the poor, the middle class, whoever, turned away from the Socialist Party and turned towards the Democratic Unity. So uh, in a way, America got what it wanted. The people start supporting Maduro's opposition. Yeah. So the sanctions that Obama applied uh, were themselves fairly narrow. <clears throat> I think they mm. um, initially targeted seven Venezuelan individuals who the U.S. claimed were using violence against protesters. Uh, and I'll wow. get into... So after this election in 2015, there were some protests actually organized by the opposition. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, Obama basically blamed the Maduro government and applied sanctions. Now... You will see in the American media, you'll see people on Facebook saying, oh, well, the sanctions that Obama applied were, were minimal. Yes, they were minimal and highly targeted. But here's the thing about sanctions. When, mm -hmm. Well, first of all, when the president of the United States declares a country to be an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States, yeah. it's a signal to... Uh, American businesses right. that are thinking about doing business in Venezuela and international countries or international corporations thinking about supporting Venezuela. It's basically mm -hmm. a dog whistle to say they're in our sights. Don't go near them. Because right. if you go and invest a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars in this country's infrastructure, we might invade or we might overthrow yeah. the government you or we might, that. you know, we might apply sanctions and you could lose it. Yeah. So you don't need to apply major sanctions in order to hurt the economy of a country, particularly a country mm. that relies on exporting its oil for like 60, 70, 80 percent of its yeah. revenue. One trick All right. you need to do is like point in their direction and wink, really. Uh, or yep. go go out on stage with a notepad that says five thousand troops to Colombia that everyone can see. So back. So oh, did I have that turned out? I meant to have that turned in. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, uh, so there were these um, protests. I said after the 2015 elections, um, Maduro won the, um, the the presidency in those elections, but the protests were instigated by the opposition leader Leopold Lopez who is uh, one of the co-founders of Somate I talked about in uh, last episode I think they were the ones that had the backing of the Bush government to try and push through this recall vote back in 2004 he urged his supporters to struggle for la salida the exit which was a campaign they were Still pushing uh, all those years later to this time to get rid of Maduro through protests. Now, um, it led to violence. 43 people died on both sides during the protest. Lopez was arrested after yeah. handing himself in. And then Maria Corina Macado, uh, the other founder of Sumate, the one, she's the one who met Bush back in 2004, learned that she mm -hmm. was being charged with conspiracy in connection to an alleged plot to kill Maduro. So uh, now the sanctions then, so this is why Obama uh, applied sanctions to Venezuela. They denied visas and froze US-based assets of a bunch of uh, Venezuelan officials. 
who, according to mm-hmm. the Obama administration, ordered significant acts of violence or serious human rights abuses against persons associated with the anti-government protests. Now, one of the people that they applied these sanctions to was a female prosecutor. Her yeah. only involvement and charges is that she had charged several opposition members with conspiracy related to an alleged assassination and coup attempt. And uh. the U.S. says that uh, these charges were implausible and in some cases based on fabricated information. Payback. Right, but... I just read out quotes from the uh, uh, unconventional and irregular warfare <laughs> operations manual. Now, when right. when the U.S. on one hand says, "Oh yeah, we we use psyops and the media to lie and uh, you know cause populations to uh, protest and try and overthrow governments," then to turn around and accuse people in those countries of saying that assassination and coup attempts are implausible. Like it's like fucking. Who are you kidding? Like seriously? Like pick Take a story. Pick a story and fucking stick to it. Either, either it's plausible because you said you'd do it, or right. you don't do it. Never would do it, and uh, then it can be implausible. But if you admit to doing it, in fact, if you say this is the yeah. this is this is really the grand master Standard form things. of warfare, yeah, yeah, then it's yeah. fucking plausible. You can't say it's implausible. It's plausible. Very, very, very fucking plausible. <laughs> Um, it, yeah, it kind of reminds me this, this whole thing about a, selectively applying sanctions and saying they're, a, they're a security threat with a nod and a wink. It reminds me of, uh, that episode of Doctor Who, of course, where the doctor says he can destroy the prime minister, Harriet Jones, with just six words. Let me play the clip. Don't challenge me, Harriet Jones, cause I'm a completely new man. I could bring down your government with a single word. You're the most remarkable man I've ever met. But I don't think you're quite capable of that. No, you're right. Not a single word. Just six. I don't think so. Six words. Stop it. Six. Don't you think she looks tired? What did he say? Well, nothing, really. What did he say? And of Love course, that show. and then of course, it gets out into the media that she's looking tired and stressed, and she <laughs> she loses. <laughs> yeah, I think that was uh, David Tennant's first episode. It was great. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's a nod and a wink. Now, the sanctions, as well as pressure from the U.S. government, help convince major financial financial institutions not to make low-risk loans uh, to the Venezuelan government that could have been collateralized by their gold reserves or, you know, promise, like when oil price goes down, you know it's going to go back up again. So it's like, listen, you know, we're short on cash right now, but give us a loan 10 years from now, oil price will be back up, no drama, we'll pay you then. But uh, when the US government has you in your sights, countries aren't going to do that unless... Those countries don't give a fuck about U.S. sanctions and are called China and Russia. So, like, so you remember when I did the the Castro um, obit on the Cold War show and talked about how, you know, initially when Castro took control of Cuba, he hoped to have friendly relations with the U.S. and um, didn't work out uh, and the U.S. applied sanctions on Cuba, 
and mm-hmm. you know they couldn't trade, so they ended up doing deals with the Russians, and then the Americans go, "Oh, look, he's doing deals with the Russians, a fucking commie." Um, right. See, we knew it all along. Well, if, yeah, like you had nowhere else to go. They were the only people with any money that he could right. trade with because you fucking locked the door and swallowed the key. Um, so he had to he had to do business with. And same same with Venezuela. So they had to do. I mean, they they already had somewhat friendly relations with China and Russia. Let's not pretend. I mean, they were a. Under Chavez, they were a socialist uh, government. But uh, when the U.S. applied sanctions to them, then they got even strong, developed even stronger f- financing their relationships with China, China and Russia because they were you know the only sources available to them. And Rosneft, which is the major Russian oil company, ended up taking forty nine point nine percent of Citgo shares as collateral for $1.5 billion it uh, offered to Venezuela as a loan back around 2015. Now, um, now, we could talk about the connections between the Trump government and Putin, and Putin and Rosneft, and now Rosneft controls half of of Citgo, but Citgo's not allowed to deal with Venezuela anymore, so... Who's going to end up controlling? If the Russians end up controlling all of Sitgo, uh, you know how much, how many shares of Sitgo are in a Donald Trump uh, uh, fucking <laughs> blind trust, hidden trust somewhere in Moscow? Yeah, fucking who knows? <laughs> you know, we did that story about the Van, uh, the Da Vinci painting, and all the right. different ways that money can, you know, make it to Trump. Uh, so Rothne- yeah. Rosneft controls this, and then all of a sudden, some guy who's a major shareholder of Rosneft pays Donald Trump a hundred million dollars more for an apartment than it's actually worth. And they go, "What? We just really, really, really <laughs> that, liked it. I really you know? liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's cute. Uh, yeah. Great views. Yeah, great views. Um, so, so now Can people go. Yeah. So now people on Facebook yeah. go, "Oh well, China and Russia are only supporting Maduro because they're protecting their assets in Venezuela." Um, no shit. Well, uh, yeah, A, no shit. And B, that kind of assumes that if Maduro goes and is replaced by Guaido, that the new Venezuelan government won't repay their loans to China and Russia, which doesn't make mm-hmm. a lot of sense. They're protecting their yeah. assets. Okay, so, but if if Maduro gets replaced by Guaido, the sanctions will be lifted, the economy will be stronger which means they'll be able to get paid back easier by the new government. So that doesn't make a lot of sense when you scratch the surface. Uh, Although, you know, you might argue that, well, Guaido is going to be more aligned to the US, so he's going to cut off China and Russia's access maybe to Venezuelan oil. Anyway, I don't know. So protecting maybe their future relationship with Venezuela because they know that uh, in the same way that the US wants Guaido in there because their relationship will be stronger. China and Russia want to continue with Maduro because their relationship is going to be weaker with Guaido. Anyway, it's complicated. Yeah, and it gets more complicated. 
the closer we go. If I could just jump back, uh, I'm not sure when you want to end this uh, show because it looks like it might go into a number four. But just to jump back to the uh, to the timeline for a second. So you were mentioning in 2015, you've got the sanctions, uh, the oil prices have been cut, the people are suffering, the uh, opposition party coalition uh, takes control. Um, in the following year, March of 2016, and this is where it really, really starts to get weird and violent. The Venezuela's Supreme Court, which has pretty much sided with the ruling Socialist Party all this time, announces it's taking over the functions of the National Assembly. But the uh, the rest of the world, there's an international outcry going, whoa, whoa, you can't just come in and take over the part of another another branch of the government. So they back off of that. But the point is, because of that confusion and tension, it leads to even more. It leads to months of anti-government protests in the street and at least another 100 people are killed on the street, you know, clashing with the police and things like that. So by March of 2016, it is truly getting out of hand. The people are suffering, and now they're fighting, physically fighting government forces. Yeah. Of course, um, Obama applied sanctions, and then Trump gets in. From the very get-go, starts, according to books like Fire and Fury, as I've said before, he starts talking mm-hmm. about invading Venezuela in his, with his uh, inner circle. Of course, his uh, original... Secretary of State was um, fucking Rex. yeah. The, what was his surname? Tillot Tillot Tillerson Tillerson, who was yeah. a is an oil guy, right? Another oil, oil guy, <laughs> exactly. He's the exactly. CEO of an, of an oil company. Oh They're like, you know what we should yeah. do? Number one, go take Venezuela's oil. Um, <laughs> so then Trump, he got talked out of invading, but uh, 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 just started applying sanctions again. Listen. We don't want to invade because the people get all upset if we invade. Yeah, let's arguing. just let's just yeah. destroy their economy, and then right. install a friendly uh, opposition through a coup, and then yeah. we, we don't need to invade, right? So, um, <clears throat> the, so Trump ratcheted up the sanctions even more. So this country is already struggling because the oil prices <laughs> halved. Their, their main source of income as a country has been cut in half through no fault of their own. Uh, and then they get blocked, uh, directly or indirectly blocked from financing from uh, uh, countries. Trade deals. Yeah, trade yeah. deals, financing, funding. They're basically cut off. It's like, imagine you lose your job. Not that you have one, but imagine you, you, you had a job. <laughs> You lose your job, and you're like, "Well, I'll get another job eventually." But the economy's fucked. But and you you go and try and get some bridge financing, and you get banned from everyone. Uh, uh, the government says, "No, don't lend Ray any money. Don't cut off yeah. his credit cards." Uh, matter of fact, uh, the money that he has in the bank that he saved up over the years, take that away. Don't give him yeah. access to that because uh, you just don't like him. He's a cunt, right? So, you know, yeah. he's, he, he acts all nice on the podcast, but really, off scenes, <laughs> complete arsehole. Um, so they just start cutting off all of your avenues to survive. That's literally right. literally what yeah. they've been doing to Venezuela since uh, Obama. Yeah, since the oil price collapsed, just cutting off every avenue of rescue for them. Now, again, yeah. this isn't to say that Chavez or the Maduro government have done the best job of managing the economy, managing the money when they had yeah. it. We can debate that to the cows come home. That's fine. What I'm saying is, you know, whether or not they should have done this or they should have done that or whatever, the fact is the U.S. has deliberately, as soon as the oil price collapsed, 
stuck the knife in and been twisting yeah. it, twisting it, twisting it, twisting it. So a uh, little bit more. Let's let's keep going for a little bit more, if, if yeah. you don't mind. Um, yeah. Now, Guaido, the, the, the guy that the US and the long list of countries now are calling the interim president, um, how he got into this position, um, I want to tell that story. You touched on it. Let's drill down a little bit more. So in 2018, May 2018, there was a presidential election in Venezuela. Um, mm-hmm. uh, now, Maduro won and was sworn in as president in January of this year, 2019. Right. Uh, but the opposition claimed the election was fraudulent uh, and they had boycotted it. So they were right. like, well, we didn't even run, so it can't be, can't be legitimate. So that's uh, why they're claiming that Maduro is not actually the president. Right. Now, why did they boycott it? Well... This gets back to this earlier election that you were talking about. They 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 claim in part that Maduro, and you see this. Uh, some people have sent me various clips that claim this that Maduro had dissolved the National Assembly. It's kind of the legislative mm-hmm. branch of the government, a bit like Congress in the United States. Right. Now it's not exactly true. Maduro didn't dissolve the National Assembly. What happened, mm-hmm. as I understand it, is this. And you look, no, you know, understand that no one knows more about the Venezuelan constitution than I do, Ray. This is, my, this is my understanding. The highest court in Venezuela, the Supreme Court of Justice, uh, which is also where the Justice League live uh, in right. Venezuela when they're on, on vacation, um, <clears throat> accused the, it's called the TSJ. Um, we'll, we'll refer to it as the TSJ accused the National Assembly, Congress, of contempt Mm -hmm. and stripped it of its powers. Now, the background is this. There was an election in December 2015. This was the first election after Chavez's death. The main parties were PSOV, the United Socialist Party of Venezuela. This is Maduro's party. Um, And it's part of a wider alliance called the GPP, the Great Patriotic Poll. And then there was the opposition, uh, which is made up of a coalition as well. It's called the Democratic Unity Roundtable, or MUD, MUD. Now, in this 2015 election, MUD won a parliamentary majority, which means they basically had control over Congress and they could uh, 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 call for a recall of the president. But after Mm -hmm. the elections, reports started to come out that there had been vote buying during the election, Mm. fraudulent elections, right? Right. Now, an investigation was announced and the TSJ, the the Supreme Court, banned four politicians from taking their seats in the National Assembly until an investigation had been carried out. Now, only Two of these four politicians that were banned were with the opposition. One was an independent allied with the opposition. One Mm -hmm. was a pro-government candidate. So it wasn't all opposition members who were accused of vote by fraud. Now, the pro-government candidate abided by the court's order, didn't take his seat in the assembly, but the other three didn't abide by the court. Because if they did, 
then mm-hmm. the opposition would lose the two-thirds majority they needed to have in order to trigger a recall referendum for Maduro, another ah. one. Or oh, they did one for Chavez, yeah, now they're doing for Maduro, right? Now, the opposition claimed, of course, that this was all politically motivated and the TSJ was stacked full of people loyal to Maduro. And those things might be true. I mean, governments tend to stack their high courts with Mm. people who reflect their worldview. But refusing to obey the Supreme Court because you believe it's stacked with Maduro loyalists is like the Democrats refusing to obey a ruling of the Supreme Court in the United States because they say it's stacked by people appointed by the GOP. Right. You, you, you never get away with that, right? <laughs> it's, no. It's the law of the land. You can you right. can refuse to obey the Supreme Court if you like, but that's a revolution or a coup. Right, right. The Everyone knows that presidents try to stack Supreme Courts with uh, people who are have the same worldview as them. That's always been the way it is. It's the same yeah, in Venezuela. <coughs> but again, when you read about this in the in the mainstream media, they say, oh, well, you know, Maduro dissolved the National Assembly. No, the Supreme Court dissolved the National Assembly. So what happened was um, the National Assembly kept swearing in these candidates that the court had banned. The court would then uh-huh. nullify they're swearing in, then the assembly would swear them in again. This went backwards and forwards for two years until 2017. And finally, Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court decided that the legislative assembly was in contempt and declared that until it was resolved, the court would be taking over the National Assembly's function so the government could continue to run. Like in the United States, if the Congress can't function then it's not passing bills. The government is shut down. Mm -hmm. So the court basically dissolved the National Assembly. It didn't dissolve it really, just stripped it of its powers and said, well, we're going to take over the approving of bills until such time as we can get this all sorted out. Now, okay, people may say, well, that's, that's... that sounds like bullshit, but Article 336.7 of the Venezuelan Constitution does give the Supreme ah. Court the authority to declare an unconstitutional default in the national state or municipal legislature and establish, if necessary, corrective measures. Now, it doesn't really say what those measures are, but this is constitutional. You can you can right. not like it, but this is constitutional, what they did. However... After the Supreme Court did this, huge international outcry, and the court reversed its decision a few days later. Ah, okay. But they were acting within the law. This wasn't a Emperor Palpatine move, but that probably got missed in the story. Well, yeah, it's just not covered in the media. They just say Maduro dissolved the National Assembly. No, he, he didn't. Okay, right. then in August of 2017, Venezuela held a special election to create a new body called the Constituent Assembly. Mm-hmm. And now it was designed to rewrite the Constitution. Right. In ways that were favourable to Maduro. Now, the election was boycotted by the opposition parties. They were like, bullshit, fuck that, don't do it. Now, right. the election ran anyway, 
Um, and the constituent, the people voted for the constituent assembly to be set up. Now, it was according to the 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 way it was created, the constituent assembly was supposed to be legally superior to the national assembly, could override mm-hmm. the national assembly. So, of course, the national assembly, that which was run by the opposition, didn't like that. So they basically said, "Bullshit! This isn't going to happen." Now, again. This You can say this is a power grab by the Maduro government, and I would probably agree with you. But again, as far as I'm aware, it was legal for him to do right. this and constitutional. Now, uh, after the Constituent Assembly was set up, it invited the members of the National Assembly to attend a banquet in their honour. <laughs> and rule oh, number shit. one of Cam and Ray's <laughs> podcast is... Do not. And... Do not attend. Yeah. Fortunately, the members of the National Assembly are big fans of our show, and they declined. <laughs> they were invited to attend a meeting where they would all sign a document agreeing that the Constituent Assembly was the superior body. And the National Assembly, wisely, I would suggest, boycotted the meeting. So the Constituent Assembly again stripped the National Assembly of its powers and assumed them... <sighs> for itself so quite obviously a power grab but again constitutional and legal in venezuela as far as i can tell let let me just ask a question you said the constitute assembly took over the powers you you did mean them and not the supreme court i just want to make sure yes the supreme court originally took the powers and then gave them back and then the constituent assembly was formed Um, and they took over. Invited the National Assembly to this meeting. National Assembly boycotted the meeting. Then the Constituent Assembly stripped the okay. National Assembly of its powers. They said they were in contempt of right. something and assumed their powers. This is legal. Yeah. All right. Just wanted to make sure I had it right. Okay. The Constituent Assembly then banned the three most influential opposition parties, Justice First, Democratic Action, and Popular Will, from participating in the 2018 presidential elections. It basically said, look, you boycotted the 2017 elections, therefore, and you didn't turn up to the meeting that we called, therefore, you are no longer valid as political parties, and you have to re-register as political parties. Now... That sounds a bit dodgy to me. Um, if you boycott yeah. an election, are you no longer valid as a political party? Honestly, even though I'm the world's leading expert on the Venezuelan constitution, <laughs> don't really feel like I'm in a position to say whether or not that's right. legit or not. But that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Right. Anyway, okay. the opposition parties then demanded that the UN election observers do not attend the 2018 presidential election, don't come and observe them because they said it would legitimise them. Uh, And the UN didn't go. Carter didn't go this time. A group called the Latin American Council of Electoral Experts, CELA, uh, Mm -hmm. which is made up supposedly of senior election coordinators from various Latin American countries, did monitor the election, said it had a high level of security and efficiency, not exactly right. sure that translates to uh, transparency and honesty, but well, it was very yeah. efficient. You yeah, can say, good for them. Yeah, it was completely fraudulent, but efficiently fraudulent. <laughs> I don't know. And that's I, what we aim for. 
We yeah. don't know much about Sila or their methods. I don't even think they have a website, so it's a little bit sort of suspicious and dodgy, the yeah. whole Sealer outfit. But the mainstream media virtually unanimously declared that the Venezuelan presidential election of 2018 was a farce. It was called mm. the coronation of a dictator. New York Times claimed there was widespread disillusionment among the Venezuelan people, uh, that the... That the um, Election was heavily rigged. CNN said there was an international outcry over the proceedings. Huffington Post called it a farce, cementing autocracy in the crisis-stricken OPEC nation. Wall Street Journal um, deemed it completely illegitimate, said there was widespread discontent over Maduro's management of the economy, which was in free fall. Uh, The fortification of a dictatorship, the Washington Post called it. But as we saw at the beginning of this episode, as with the bridge story, mm-hmm. the American media just tend to run with the story that they're given by the PSYOPs team inside of the U.S. Uh, Army right. Special Forces. Yeah. So, again, uh, uh, how much of this is real? How much of this you have to take as PSYOPs? It's really hard to know. Yeah. And, and I would argue that we're not saying that that's not true. It's just that no one knows because no one did, went down there to observe and no one's got boots on the ground and these people boycotted. So we really don't know what the story is. And it would have been more honest if the papers had said, look, total confusion down there. We really don't know what's going on. But no, they ran with it like it was a solid thing that the people were firmly against Maduro. They were just making it up or, as you suggested, probably taking their cue from someone. Yeah. Which they just didn't know. Because that's the role of the corporate media is to support the the elite uh, in the decisions that they make. That is their function in a Western democracy. It's not to provide factual, objective reporting, particularly when it comes to things that affect the U.S. economy and and U.S. interests. It's to... My start portfolio. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, fuck, how are we doing for time now? Is it okay? One twenty-five. So uh, we'll wrap up. But Juan Guaido, the guy who's the interim president there now, is a member of the Popular Will Party, aka Voluntad Popular. Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on who you believe, they're either right-wing or centrist, social democratic party. I've done a little bit of digging into their policies. They do seem to be fairly progressive to me, uh, centrist progressive. They support LGBT rights. Um, following that mm. 2015 election, the first two LGBT members ever uh, took a seat in the Venezuelan legislature, uh, and they were elected as part of Popular Will's uh, party. Um, right. But... The founder of Popular Will, Leopoldo Lopez, um, the guy who's also uh, one of the founders of Sumate, um, the guy who got arrested after the protests, he's an interesting guy with an interesting background, descended from very prominent Venezuelans, the elite of the elite. Uh, his mother Ooh. was the daughter of Eduardo Mendoza Goltecoa, who was the Secretary of Agriculture during the Betancourt years in the late 40s. And through her, Lopez is the great-great-great-grandson of the country's first president, Cristobal Mendoza. Wow. Um, Lopez himself attended Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government in the mid-90s, 
Now, the first warning sign when you see a Latin American politician who studied at uh, the Kennedy School of Government, um, whenever somebody from Latin American, the Latin American elite who might end up in politics is attending the Kennedy School of Government, uh, you know that uh, they're being taken out uh, for uh, dinner and lunch uh, by the CIA saying, listen, are the right people. Let's do yeah. a deal. We support you and uh, you support you play ball. us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, would be, it would be naive to think that people with his pedigree go to the Kennedy School of Government and that those conversations don't happen. Um, whether or not they agree to it, okay, maybe they don't. But come on. If, you know, if, yeah. if, Someone's if, talking. If if people who may or may not be connected to the CIA or American interests with a lot of money say, listen, we will support your political career if you remain friendly and, and you know, return our phone calls and do what we ask you to do. Come on, yeah. man. Like, I would be take friends. that meeting. Um, you know, yeah. I, I have yeah. said it many times, you know, my politics are up for, you know, purchase. <laughs> You want me to become better. a? I, I could be the next Alex Jones, or or, or, or I'd be the next. Uh, <laughs> the uh, right price. I, 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 yeah, if right price, I'd, I'd be a, a host on Fox News. I, I'm totally. God just, put me here. You, yeah. you will not defeat God. <laughs> I can see you saying that now. <laughs> and by God, I mean me. <laughs> uh, um. <clears throat> So, uh, yeah, now he's currently serving a 13-year sentence under house arrest for crimes in Venezuela, including instigation of delinquency, arson, damage to public property, incitement to riot and terrorism. A lot of people, of course, believe all the charges are fabricated and they may well be. But I just want to wrap up with this. Now, can Guaido legally declare himself president or be declared president? Now, Mm -hmm. it's not so clear. As we've touched upon, I think, in the very beginning of our Venezuela series, you brought this up. Under the Constitution of Venezuela, the president of the National Assembly may serve as interim president if the office of the president of the republic becomes vacant. Mm-hmm. Now, on the 23rd of January, Guaido took a public oath to serve as interim president of Venezuela uh, and was 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 applauded and recognized within minutes by the Trump government, uh, Trump administration and and other governments around the world, including Australia's government. But can he legally do that? Not a lot of talk about that in the mainstream media. Now, um, do you want to, do you want to jump in here? I know that you've done some Uh, research on this. I thought the constitution said that they could, they could, they would take over, but it would be an interim thing and they would do no more than to set up elections and not like be the president or fulfill a term. I thought it was just to come in because the the president for whatever reason cannot, and they were to organize elections. That's what I had read or interpreted the constitution to me, not just to come in and say, okay, from now on, I'm the president. Which is what and I'll run again in the future sometime. No, and he has been declared the interim president um, mm-hmm. to set up an election, but I don't think he can even do that. Now, Article 233 of the Venezuelan Constitution states the president of the republic shall become permanently unavailable to serve by reason of any of the following events mm-hmm. death, well, Maduro's sure. not dead, 
resignation, he hasn't resigned, removal from office by decision of the Supreme Tribunal of Justice, that hasn't happened, permanent physical or mental disability certified by a medical board designated by the Supreme Tribunal of Justice with the approval of the National Assembly, that hasn't happened, abandonment of his position duly declared by the National Assembly, Hmm, I don't think that's happened, even though they might declare that, or recall by popular vote. That hasn't happened either. Now, so according to the Constitution of Venezuela, the, the grounds for a situation where the president of the National Assembly can be declared an interim president aren't there. Now, yeah. Yeah. you add to that that the National Assembly doesn't have any power. It was stripped of its powers by the Constituent <laughs> Assembly. So technically, the president of the National Assembly has about as much authority in Venezuela as I do. Um, it's totally it's so. declaring yeah. Yeah. himself or being declared interim president is totally illegitimate. There is no legitimate grounds for that under the Venezuelan constitution with the current scenario. But again, try and find any mention of that in the mainstream media. Right. But we want it. Sorry. Oh, God. Listen, I've got more notes. I could keep going for another... Actually, let me let me just wrap up, man. I'm just, I don't have much more. Let's we can we can put a fucking line under this thing. So, got ten more minutes? Sure. I know it's long, sure. but fuck, let's just let's just do it. Okay. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> as I said before, tensions with Venezuela have been ramping up under Trump. In 2017, Trump said he would not rule out a quote military option to deal with Venezuela. Again. You know, you're any potential investor uh, or, 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 or company or country that's thinking about supporting Venezuela. When when the president of the United States he was not ruling out a military option, you're like, well, I'm not going right. to, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to go I'm in there and build a fucking bridge or a dam right. or you know, oil Casino thing, yeah, whatever, yeah. right? When it could be blown up by American bombers in six months, so no one's going to get in there now right. or, or or you, you you loan money to the Maduro government, then the Americans overthrow the Maduro government and say, well, we're not giving you your money back because we told you yeah. uh, don't give these guys money and you did anyway, so, you know, you're right. fucked. Sorry. On and you. and yeah. we're going to freeze all of your assets now in our country and apply <laughs> sanctions on you because you pissed us off. So... <laughs> It's it's right. it's discouraging countries and companies from assisting in the economic crisis, if not out and out sanctions. Uh, you know, banning them if you're Americans. Now, mm-hmm. um, according to some economists, the uh, sanctions that Trump that Trump applied in 2017 uh, bludgeoned the economy even more. Uh, Venezuelan oil production had been following the same pattern as Colombia's during 2016 and most of 2017 until Trump's sanctions came into force. Then Venezuelan oil production just plummeted, hit its lowest point in about a decade. Um, Then Trump's sanctions in 2017, um, August of 2017, made it illegal for the Venezuelan government to obtain financing from the U.S. 
Um, all of the Venezuelan government's outstanding foreign currency bonds, which are governed under New York state law, and all of their Citgo assets, which is based in Texas, all of a sudden they couldn't access any of that. It blocked Citgo from sending profits and dividends back to Venezuela. That had been about a billion dollars a year since 2015. Um, Now, economists claim these new sanctions cost Venezuela's economy about $6 billion in oil revenue in a single year. Damn. Which, again, makes it difficult for Venezuela to import food, import medicine, all the other things they need to import, because they can't use the U.S. dollar as a currency for exchange. Now, but according to the Venezuelan government, the sanctions have actually cost more like $20 billion a year, because it's not just the cost of the official sanctions, it's also all of the unofficial trickle-down effects Tell right. you know, just that wink That's and the right. nod. Don't trade with this country because uh, the military yeah. option is on the table. So it's actually just absolutely devastated the economy. And then, of course, people are hungry, people are unemployed, people can't get stuff. So what do they do? They riot, they protest. Then you know the the, the government there's violence. The government has to crack down on the violence, Mm -hmm. then the media says, look, they're violent. And then there's more protests Mm -hmm. and and it just, it just escalates. That's, that's how the game is played. Right. Um, Right. Now for months, uh, you you know, in my show notes, I've in in things, maybe we should talk about this week on this show. I've had that the Venezuelan government was going to launch the Petro, a cryptocurrency backed by their oil reserves which they would use to buy Venezuelan oil. And in my notes, I said, is this perhaps, you know, the the U.S. government doesn't like the idea of anyone trading in oil in anything other than U.S. dollars, as we know. Right. And and I asked whether or not this would be the basis for U.S. intervention. And and I was too yeah. late getting to that story because it already has happened. <laughs> um, now, in November 2018, John Bolton uh, accused Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua as being part of a troika of tyranny, um, now, of course, this is one of Barry and Stan's latest uh, slogans. They also come up with the axis of evil for John Bolton. Sure. Um, right. they, they also, less successful was when they called the Trump children the quintet of quasi. Um, <laughs> that never really caught on. I was a big no, fan of that one. It. Yeah, the quintet okay. of quasi. Um, <clears throat> so the troika of tyranny. Like, oh my God. Nice. Now, in September of 2017, New York Times reported that the Trump administration had been conducting secret meetings with uh, rebellious military officers from Venezuela to discuss overthrowing Maduro. September 2017. Take note of that. This is months before the uh, Guaido coup. Uh, Now, the month before that, in August 2017, Maduro survived an assassination attempt when he was giving a speech out in the streets of Caracas and he there was he was attacked by two small drones two drones loaded with c4 exploded close to where he was giving a speech a uh, handful of soldiers were injured um, maduro blamed the us and colombia for trying to assassinate him um John Bolton claims the attack was staged by Maduro, but if you've seen the footage of it, it doesn't look like it's staged. Maybe they're all just very good actors, but um, yeah, it looks like there was a legitimate assassination attempt on him uh, last August. By the way, this was the mm. uh, first drone attack 
attempted assassination on a head of state in history uh, against uh, Maduro in August of 2017. Now, all of this comes wow. as Venezuela is obviously facing a staggering economic crisis at, caused in part by the US sanctions. Now, I've already gone all over this. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, in the US media, uh, Venezuela, this is the other thing that gets me about the US coverage. Venezuela gets accused mm-hmm. of being a brutal regime and uh, the the justification for the US supporting Guaido is because Venezuela is a brutal regime who is right. doing brutal things to its people. But then you compare that to Saudi Arabia, where Crown Prince Bonesaw arrested 500 top Saudis. The US media not own, and government not only didn't bat an eyelid and overthrow his government, they actually celebrated him arresting these people. Thomas Friedman at the New York Times called Bonesaw's uh, takeover as Saudi Arabia's Arab Spring. Um, mm. You know, the, the media narrative in the US was that uh, he Bonesaw was arresting people from corruption and it was right. hailed in the Western media. Um, then, of course, he went and murdered Khashoggi and people are like, oh, well, now that you're killing journalists, we don't like that. But yeah. it, uh, So the media sort of turned on Bonesaw there. But uh, right. when he was arresting people, uh, they, didn't, they didn't give a shit. I mean, uh, right. when a Latin American government, a socialist Latin American government does it, they're a brutal regime who must be toppled. But when Saudi Arabia does things, it's like, well, hey, they're our friends. Yeah. Uh, they're they're Cleaning our standing allies. Yeah. Exactly. Now, as I said earlier, during Obama's administration, they said they were deeply concerned by the Venezuelan government's efforts to escalate intimidation of its political opponents. But uh, when Bonesaw arrested all of his political opponents and threw them in jail until they gave him money, the U.S. uh, just applauded that. I thought it was great. (laughs) Saudi Arabia continues to sentence human rights activists and atheists to prison and death, has them beheaded, uh, has them uh, whipped in public, floggings. Um, no one, no one bats an eyelid. There's no discussions. Yeah. So it's not about that, you know. It's not about oh well, they're a brutal regime and we have to topple them because it's inconsistent with the friendly relationship with. Uh, other brutal regimes that the U.S. has—it's—it's it's bullshit. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's, like people will matter of convenience. People will say that's whataboutism. Oh well, that's just whataboutism. And I've said before, whataboutism isn't a real thing. It's bullshit. What we're saying is, is there consistency? You can't use that argument for one country and expect us right. to believe you when you're using different arguments for countries that are just as bad, if not worse. Mm. Yeah. Nobody expected Obama to be deeply concerned and impose sanctions on the Saudis or Egypt or the UAE, where repression was far worse than Venezuela's. The US was a right. big supporter of, like, Egypt's president. Uh, what was his name? Mubarak. Big, big, mm-hmm. big supporters. The Obama administration, Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, very big supporters of Mubarak right through his brutal regime and his crackdown during the Arab Spring, etc. They've got a military dictatorship now in Egypt. 
Um, again, right. very, very heavily supported by the United States. So there's no consistency in that argument. It's kind of bullshit. Listen to this exchange between a State Department spokesperson and Matt Lee from the Associated Press after she, the spokesperson from the State Department, tried to talk about the US government having a long-standing policy of supporting peaceful transitions of power. Chris, as a matter of long-standing policy, the United States does not support political transitions by non-constitutional means. Political transitions must be democratic, constitutional, peaceful, and legal. We've seen many times that the Venezuelan government tries to distract from its own actions by blaming the United States or other members of the international community for events inside Venezuela. These efforts reflect a lack of seriousness on the part of the Venezuelan government to deal with the grave situation it faces. The U.S. has a long-standing practice of not promoting, what did you say? How long-standing is that? I would, <laughs> in particular, in South and Latin America, that is not a long-standing practice. Well, my point here, Matt, without getting into not history, in is that we do not support, we have no involvement with, and these are ludicrous accusations. In this, in this specific Correct. case. Correct. But if you go back not that long ago, during your lifetime, even. This so is not that long. The last 21 years? <laughs> well done. <laughs> Touche. But, I mean, look, I don't, I don't I, does longstanding mean 10 years in this case? I mean, what, what Matt, is, my intention was to speak to the specific reports. But you said it, it's a longstanding U.S. practice, and I'm not so sure. How, it depends on what your definition of longstanding we will, is. Okay. And then she moves on. Um, yeah. So full credit to Matt Lee from sucks. the Associated Press of um, calling, yeah. calling bullshit, bullshit on that, um, <laughs> right? Which you don't often see. Um, she yeah. just she looked very uncomfortable in that video. Check it out. But this is this is just one example of the kind of nonsense the U.S. government gets away with all the time. Very rarely do journalists mm. push back and call bullshit. I'd love to know what happened to this guy after that meeting. Um, now here's a quote I'm going to read a quote I want, to, I want to see if you can guess who this quote is mm -hmm. from Ray we the United States have not only supported a dictatorship in Cuba we have propped up dictators in Venezuela Argentina Colombia Paraguay and the Dominican Republic we not only ignored poverty and distress in Cuba we have failed in the past eight years to relieve poverty and distress throughout the hemisphere Oh, that's that's kind of easy. I mean, uh, Jesus Christ. No, um, I would say uh, Bernie Sanders. I don't know. <laughs> uh, close. Uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, October uh. 6th, 1960. <clears throat> we have propped up dictators in Venezuela, Argentina, Colombia, Paraguay, and the Dominican Republic. Um, mm. And then he tried to invade Cuba. Uh, <clears throat> now, of course, these days, the United States government would rather push through regime change by crippling a country's economy than invasion because that looks bad. Yeah. Harder to yeah, get evidence on camera of, of regime change when you're doing it by crippling an economy than it is when you send forces in. They use UW, deny it. UW yeah. and IW, the stuff I started off the series with. You know, right. they learned in, during Vietnam that Americans get upset when they see people dying on camera. So it's better to 
sponsor division and outrage, blame the incumbent government for that, support their opponents, use subversion and all those other things that I mentioned out of the field manual. So let's finish this Venezuelan drill down with this. Is it legitimate to recognize a guy as president who didn't run for president in the election and cannot be made president under the constitution because the conditions aren't there and uh, the, the body that he's a part of, the National Assembly, actually has no power? Like, you can acknowledge Guaido's power grab, but we have to at least acknowledge that um, it's it's not a legitimate transfer of power. Yes, the National Assembly did win that election in 2015, but the Supreme Court of Venezuela has prevented them initially from taking power, then the Constituent Assembly, which was elected for, you know, chosen in a vote by the people. You can argue about the you know whether or not the election was fair or free or whatever, but it happened. And so, yep. uh, and then you can't deny that the U.S. has been interfering in Venezuela since at least 2002, tempting coups, helping the economy collapse, supporting strikes right. and sanctions. Who knows what else? And Maduro's claims that the U.S. are in are involved in the, in in the economic uh, worsening conditions and the coup in Venezuela are actually correct. That's not to say that he is blameless or Chavez, his predecessor, is blameless in any of this. But mm-hmm. we have to at least acknowledge, if you want to have a reasonable conversation, that America has a very large share in the blame of in everything that's going on there. Yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to just throw in this because I know we're going to wrap up. But one, there was an expert. Uh, there's an expert in the region and a founder of an advisory group, James Bosworth, who says something like uh, the military leadership in Venezuela must understand that Maduro's days are numbered. The financial situation is unsustainable and they are on, they are on the wrong side of the Venezuelan public in history. But as far as Maduro being pressured out, all of, uh, my only comeback for that is. Bashar al-Assad, they've been saying the same thing about him since 2011. The American people will move on. Our interests will move on or, or you know, because we can't focus on anything for more than a couple of minutes. So Maduro could outlast this. It's just a matter of how how what his resolve is versus what Trump says. And tr- Trump's attention span isn't that much longer than, than the average American. So we'll see what happens. But this this is not an automatic win for America. We could end up not getting our way as we've done before. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Um, all right, folks, that's the Venezuela. That's our troika of Venezuela shows. Um, yeah. And Chrissy's about to start running a violin lesson outside my door. So we got to go. We'll be back next week with yeah. uh, something else. Yeah.